when you go through something like that, where potentially you should be dead, you know, the paramedic said, we can't believe you are still alive. Somehow, some way, uh, it gives you a completely different perspective. And for me, it was that I'm sort of on the bonus round. I'm like, I shouldn't be here, but I am. What am I going to do with that? Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Welcome back to another episode of A Congruent Life, where we explore themes of authenticity by sharing the stories of some pretty amazing people. I'm Andy Gray, and thanks so much for being here today. This is episode number 34 of A Congruent Life, and today I'm really glad to share a conversation that I had recently with Greg Berg. Shortly after I decided to create the A Congruent Life podcast, I met Greg and discovered that he has a similar project called Radio Enzo, with the tagline, Tools and Inspiration for Conscious Living. I'm talking today to Greg Berg, who, among many other things, is the host of a great radio show called Radio Enzo. Greg, welcome to A Congruent Life. Hey, thanks, Andy. Very, very happy to be here today. Hey, thanks, Greg. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You've got this great show called Radio Enzo, and uh, it's very, I'd say, compatible with sort of the mission of A Congruent Life. And so I thought it'd be fun to spend some time talking to you and get a little bit of your own story and talk about uh, authenticity and creative living and conscious living and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of uh, crossover, very similar thematically and uh, and the similar ethos uh, between our shows. So yeah, I agree. Fantastic. Well, let's maybe start. Just can you give our listeners maybe a quick introduction about you and what it is you do? You have a whole portfolio of different things that you're up to. So how do you introduce yourself to what's going on <laughs> in your world? That's the $100,000 question, isn't it, Andy? You know, that sort of the elevator speech. What do you do for a living? Um, and I guess it's a little bit contextual, but the short answer is that I create things for a living. Uh, I consider myself a creative. And so uh, I generally make my living as a designer, photographer, videographer, musician, uh, anything that I can convince people to uh, pay me to create or that I want to create just uh, with my own muse and sort of decide that this is something I want to work in. Um, I guess that's that's what I do, and I've been very fortunate that I've had a life where I was able to work professionally in a number of different media around the communication spectrum. So uh, whether I get bored easily or uh, just for various reasons at points in my life, I couldn't hold down a job for long periods of time or something, but I, I've been exposed to work in radio and television and print and public relations and all around the, the sort of the communication spectrum. Uh, I worked in politics for a number of years as well. And for me, it's always about taking experience from one thing and just sort of adding that to this conglomerate of skills and experiences that I can then translate into work for people moving forward. And so as part of that sort of media wheel, uh, the different things that I do, as you mentioned, uh, I do a radio show called Radio Enzo. And I worked in professional radio years ago. I started off as a college radio DJ many years ago, back in the 80s. Uh, I'm showing my age here. 
But um, I, I, at the time, one of my life goals was, oh, yeah, I, I think I might want to be a, a radio DJ. And, you know, I, I think that life goal changed many times over the years. But for me, um, I sort of worked my way up the, the radio food chain and did college and community radio and eventually worked in commercial radio, both at a few uh, regular radio stations, sort of terrestrial radio over the air and a syndicated radio network. So I was hosting and producing and writing for a network that produced shows that went around the United States and uh, around the world at one point. Uh, and then at some point back in the 90s, I got out of that business and I put that skill away and I sort of got away from radio and I had lost my passion for it and I got away. And then uh, fast forward 15 years to 2011 to the WDS conference that we were both participants in and I decided, hmm, I want, to, uh, I want to continue the conversations that we're having here at this conference. I want to continue to uh, have discussions about the sorts of things that you talk about on your show and on your site and the type of things that fellow WDSers are uh, making a priority in their life, uh, having a congruent life, having a conscious life, as I call it, uh, in my vernacular. And so uh, 107 episodes ago, we started a online radio show called Radio Enzo. It's a weekly show that airs on Monday night, and I'm the host and producer. And uh, it's something that I really, really love to do. And I, I'm 107 shows in, and I, I love doing it as much as the, the first time I've ever done it. So I guess that was going to be a short answer that turned into a rather long answer. Oh, that's okay. There's a lot of richness in there, uh, all kinds of stuff that we could uh, unpack. We like to tell the stories on A Congruent Life of people that sort of put their lives together deliberately. Yeah. In many cases, those are stories where there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote, false starts, which <laughs> maybe aren't really false starts. But, you know, there are, there are pieces of our lives that gives us some experience, that give us some new skills, give us some new perspectives. And then oftentimes in our lives, there's some sort of pivotal moment where we call time out and say, wait a minute, this really isn't working for me. And people are, are forced either through their own volition or maybe some sort of external crisis to sort of reinvent their lives in a new way. So for you, what was that? What was that moment or what was the um, sort of external force that said, you know what, I, I want to put together this package of creative services. I want to take all of these different pieces of my life and, and focus them and sort of harness them into a way of helping people to live deliberately. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, I, you mentioned the the false starts notion, and I guess I've had about ten of those in my life, <laughs> probably more. So uh, it was definitely a process. Uh, there were times in my life where earlier on, before I had really discovered the path of self development and personal development, and and asking the bigger picture questions in my life, uh, I guess, and, and and that's been really over the, the past decade or so, ten or fifteen years for me. But but when I was younger, when I was in my twenties and thirties. Uh, early 30, early 30s, I, I should say. Um, it was more. I would, uh, you know, I would, I would work in a medium or do a job, and then either, you know, external forces would come along. For instance, when I worked in radio, I had sort of my dream job, and I worked there for three years. And at some point, it started to feel really icky to me. It didn't feel congruent with my values. I was basically. A, sort of a salesperson for products. I was, you know, pitching, you know, the latest soft drink or pizza slice or, you know, car deal or something. And, and that's not what I, I got into radio for the storytelling aspect. I got into radio because it was a medium in which I could help other people discover cool new music and sort of learn lessons about uh, music and life and art and things like that. And as you know, you know, if you do that in a, 
most commercial venues, at least back in those days, before there was the internet and you had the opportunity to sort of do your own thing, um, you were forced by the very nature to make compromises. You know, if you worked in commercial television or commercial radio or filmmaking, you know, you want to be an artist. You want to express yourself artistically. And that's always the goal getting in for most people. And then at some point they realize, well, if I'm going to get paid for this and I'm going to make a living out of this, well, I'm going to have to compromise. Well, at some point you're faced with the fact that you've made far more compromises than you would have initially wanted to, to make. And so changes come along. And, and in radio, for instance, it's a, a new program director comes to a radio station and decides, okay, I want new people and I'm, you know, I'm going to go fire everybody. And so you lose your job and then you realize, okay, do I want to continue on this carousel? Do I want to continue doing this? Or maybe it's time for something new for me. Maybe it's something time that's more congruent with my value system. And so... At the time, I stepped away from radio, for instance, and then I decided to look for work in helping people in a in, in a way that I, I guess I hadn't really formalized in my mind like what that would look like. So, okay, I could help people with educational institutions or nonprofits and things like that. So, I spent a number of years working sort of around the political realm, and the same thing happened after a number of years. You know, a job loss or two job losses for various external forces, and then each time that happens whether it's a choice that I made or somebody comes along and the universe sort of forces the issue, then you've got to decide, okay, well, what do I want next? What direction do I want to go in? So, for instance, I had, I had ended up at a sort of a PR firm, communications company, that, that did a lot of political work. And it was a great gig. It was a smaller company, and I worked there for about six or seven years. And then they sort of downsized and, and chopped off a bunch of people, including myself. And I got another job working officially in politics and I did that for a while and then I was sort of lopped off in another thing sort of out of my uh, out of my control and at some point I thought well again this doesn't feel congruent with me so I'm gonna then basically reinvent myself and I'm gonna take these skills that I like doing and I'm gonna see if I can make them work into a, a new life and so for instance I, I had two job losses in three years and this was back in 2004 and 2005 and my wife and I at the time were living in St. Louis, Missouri, where we had grown up. Uh, both of us are from the Midwest, and we both grew up there and had lived uh, most of my life there. And we said, you know, we've always wanted to live in California. We've always wanted to, to relocate to San Diego. And we talked about doing that, you know, someday, that, that, that elusive someday. When I get old, we'll have this. We thought, why wait for that? Why not just go now? The universe is clearly giving us some signals. It's giving us sort of this kick in the pants. And so we said, you know what, let's let's sell the house, let's pack everything up, and let's go. And neither one of us had jobs, and we just thought, we're going to dive in and see what happens. And that was eight and a half years ago, and we moved to San Diego, where we live now. And my wife found a job as a teacher, which is what she does. And I said, I really want to work for a nonprofit. I think I, this is something I want to, I want to try. And I want to try to find a gig in which I can incorporate the various media that I've worked in and allow myself to be creative and do creative things. And so I was very fortunate. After a pretty lengthy job search, I was hired as the uh, marketing and PR director of one of the largest YMCAs in the United States, which is located out here in San Diego. And so you know, it was a continuation of the trend of, okay, evaluate where you are. What do I want to do? How do I build this next part of my life? What do I, I want to do? And so I did that. I was hired. I did that for three years. And then in the middle of that job, working for an organization that I loved, I loved half of my job. 
but I didn't love the other half of my job. I didn't love all the sort of businessy side of things. I'm not really a, a business person at heart in that way. I, I liked creating and making things. And so I was getting pretty miserable. And the pressure for working in a nonprofit is pretty intense. And you're wearing 15 different hats and doing the job of a number of people. And so I said, you know, I, I don't want to go forward with this anymore. I want to see if I can try something new. So I went to my boss and I, I think he knew I was gonna, getting ready to leave. And I said, what if I create this new position to where I'm doing the creative work for this organization and then you basically hire my replacement to be more of a CEO type manager of the department and handle the marketing and PR and the business type stuff. And it took some convincing, but eventually he took the bait and he said, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll do it. And so uh, I spent the next five plus years doing that. Uh, and then recently segued out of that position uh, to basically becoming a, a 100% full-time freelance guy, basically offering my services and doing creative work to anybody out there that wants to hire me. So, I love a lot of things about those stories that you're telling there. Uh, first, I, I think it's quite remarkable how you're able to treat these not really as false starts, but look at them so objectively and say, you know what, these are the things that I like about this and these are the things that I don't. And then be able to sort of mash up or, or reinvent the way those positions might look. I think your radio example is a great one. You say, you know, I really loved radio, but there were certain things about the radio business that didn't really work for me. So you didn't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater, but took what worked for you and left the rest of it behind. Try to recast things or, or reinvent things in a way that was more congruent for your own life and, and your own interests. Yeah. Yeah, and I was very lucky in that regard is that I was able, you know, I've had opportunities where I was able to as you said, recast or, or, you know, somehow try to mold into a new way. Take what I like, take what I don't like. And, and I think that's really the key, for me at least. And I found that to be the case with many of the people that I talk to on Radio Enzo. And, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is that the, the most important thing is to be asking questions and to be looking inside at your own self. So when you start doing self-development, personal development, self-reflection, and you start realizing like, okay, well... You know, for many of us, we get into a job for, you know, who knows what reasons why we, we get into a job where we need money. You know, you know, we've heard about this great job. It seems like the thing we want to do. And then we get in the job and we realize, well, there's part of this job I love, but there's part of it that I don't love. And, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, every job has things you don't love to do. Every job has some aspects of that job that's not perfect for you. But I think the more you can be aware of what lights you up, what makes you feel good, what makes you... Well, you know, what are the things you really love to do? And then as you move forward in your career and in your life, being able to remember those things and then say, okay, well, what if I had a job or I could fashion a life in which I'm doing more of this and more of this and less of this? And so I think that the most important thing is just to be self-aware in that way and to be able to be asking those questions about what really lights me up, what makes me happy, how would I choose to spend my day? And when you can find those things that you could do, you know, people always say, you know, if you could do it for free, would you do it anyway? You know, if you were able to, you know, do it and you sort of lose track of time, you're in the middle of an endeavor that you love so much and you get so fired up by that three, four hours go by and you, you think it's an hour. You've lost track. It doesn't feel tedious or like a chore. Like those are obvious symbols. And so whether you're at the point or not where you think people would pay you for those things, pay attention to that and then figure out, okay, well, I've discovered I, I have this passion. Maybe I'm not great at it yet, but I know that I like this thing. 
And so that's sort of what I did along the way. I was I was working for a, a PR firm, for instance, for a number of years, and I was I was hired as a writer. And, and writing is always something that I could do pretty well, but I never took a lot of joy in. It didn't really light me up. And so even though that was technically my job, was sort of account manager writer for this PR communications firm, while I was there, it was, it was a pretty small company, we had one in-house graphic artist. And he would be out sometimes. He'd be missing a few days. And there'd be situations where they'd need something turned around and fixed quickly, some sort of edit on a, on a piece. And I had started playing around in graphic design and it was always something I thought I liked. And I, you know, one day finally said, well, hey, you know, I, I think I've learned enough about this. I've been watching him, learning from him. What if you let me try this? And I'm like, okay, sure, go for it. You know, and so it probably wasn't very good at first, but you know, it's sort of very empowering. Like, okay, cool. Somebody else said, like, we'll, we'll let you do this. And so I made a few fixes for them. And then it came a point where, like, okay, well, what if we actually had you try this small piece on your own? He's kind of booked up. We need somebody else. We don't want to hire an outside person. So what if you did this thing for us, a small version of this, and you did it, you're like, oh, that's great, I love that. And so paying attention to those things and then taking the risks of asking somebody, like, hey, can I try, can I do that for you? And then eventually that translates into, hey, maybe I could get somebody to pay me for this. So when I went looking for my next job, I went looking for a job that in the job description said we need somebody that's, you know, not only can write and, you know, manage, you know, be a PR guy, deal with the media, but can also do some graphic design and some photography and the other things that, that the job description entailed. Yeah, a lot of it is about taking those risks and, and putting yourself into those somewhat uncomfortable situations. Yeah, absolutely. Greg, in, in some of your work, uh, your, your writings and in your talks and presentations and so forth, you've talked about the fact that uh, as a relatively young man, you were in a car accident. And that's been quite some time ago now. So given the value of time passing and increased wisdom in your life, I wonder, can you look back on that experience in your life and reflect maybe on what that has taught you? Yeah, sure, Andy. That's, uh, it is, I would think, the most seminal moment in my entire life when I look back. Because... Uh, I, essentially, I was 18 years old. I was a senior in high school. Long story short here. Uh, I'll try to keep this shorter. And I, I was uh, with some friends at lunch. It was coming up to the end of our senior year near graduation time. And we thought at our school, you had to basically like stay on campus. There was no like leaving campus where we lived. We sort of lived out away from the city. And we thought, you know what? We're going to do something crazy today. We're going we're gonna to leave at lunch. We're going to go to McDonald's or you know whatever it was at the time we did uh, in the next town over. So we got in his little Tramp Spitfire convertible, and we took off. We left school. It was like the one time in my entire life I skipped school. And, you know, sort of left and went away. And then it, it started to rain on the way back. We were trying to get back to make our afternoon classes rather than skip the whole day. You know, somehow we thought we had to come back for afternoon classes. We are on the way back, and... We basically, uh, it started to rain, and I guess the driver wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. We were sort of having fun, and all of a sudden in front of us was a stopped school bus, and it was either hit the stopped school bus or try to go around it. He tried to go around, and we flipped a small Triumph Spitfire down about a 20-foot embankment, literally flipped the thing all the way around, and ended up, uh, sort of. Go I went through the windshield of the Spitfire, and the paramedics got there, and they thought we were all dead. We were all unconscious, and they assumed we were dead, given how badly mangled the car was and everything. And uh, essentially, you know, I, I 
was some sort of miracle. I, I think it was somehow I was spared. I, I woke up, uh, regained consciousness. Uh, I had to get 75 stitches in my face, and I had to go through all sorts of things around the accidents. But essentially, I, I was spared. I, I lived. And when you go through something like that, where potentially you should be dead, you know, the paramedics said, "We can't believe you are still alive." Somehow, some way, uh, it gives you a completely different perspective. And for me, it was that. I'm sort of on the bonus round. I'm like, I shouldn't be here, but I am. What am I going to do with that? And at 18 years old, maybe I didn't quite understand that. Or I didn't quite uh, realize the full ramifications of that. But I think what it did is it, it emboldened me. Rather than making me be more afraid, uh, which could have been an outcome of that. You could have said, well, I'm not going to do anything crazy like that anymore again. Uh, because I felt like I was sort of living on the bonus round, I'm like, well, I better do something with my life. I better take more chances. I better live life to the fullest because, you know, I, for whatever reason, whether you believe in a spiritual entity, uh, an intelligent universe, whatever your personal beliefs are, for some reason or completely random chance, I was given a second chance. And I, I tend to lean toward the, the intelligent universe, spiritual being side of the fence. So I thought, well, I'm going to make the best of that. And here we are many, many years later. I'm, you know, in my mid-40s. And that that event, that instance, still informs my life. It, it, it emboldened me at a younger person. It allowed me to start taking more chances, and it, it just basically set up a pattern. Like, what do I have to lose? You know, it's not going to kill me. <laughs> it sort of comes back to this question of like, well, if I take this chance, you know, it, what's the worst that could happen? Right. Would it kill me? No. Uh, would it potentially cause some short-term pain or some fear or whatever? You start thinking through things like that, or you just learn not to think about it. You just sort of dive right in. And it doesn't mean being reckless or, you know, doing reckless things with, with your life or other people in your life. But it just means it's, it's allowed me, I think, to do things that maybe I wouldn't have done before. And it's given me a perspective of, you know, you, you oftentimes see studies with people who are dying. You know, sort of these regrets of the dying stories that people send around Facebook. You know, and it's always that, oh, I should have done this more. I should have taken more chances. I should have lived more fully, loved more fully, not been embarrassed by this or whatever. And and so I think it allowed me to have some of that perspective as a younger person and not wait until I was older. And so I'm, in a way, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I'm very grateful that it happened. Uh, and I know that sounds strange, but um, that's how I feel. I, I feel like it's it's really given me a new perspective over all these years. Yeah, it doesn't sound strange at all. That's that's a beautiful reflection. Thank you. Um, earlier, you mentioned the World Domination Summit, and that is, in fact, where we met. And then suddenly, fast forward many years, and all of a sudden, you're on stage at WDS. Can you talk a bit about how that happened and, and what impact that's had for you? <laughs> sure, no problem. Yeah, so I, I started Radio Enzo basically, on, uh, the idea came to me on an airplane flying away from WDS one back in 2011 and so you know how do i continue these conversations how do i spotlight the work of all these amazing people that i was meeting and wow these people are doing such great work like i want the world to know more about this what can i do and i had uh, six months earlier started working on a um sort of as a one of my various creative projects working as the producer and sort of i i guess sort of the announcer guy if you will on a online radio show for a, a friend who's a metalsmith. He hosts a metalsmith radio show. Nothing to do with any of the things that I do generally, but 
but he needed a guy to come in and sort of replace a, a previous guy who was sort of acting as the producer and announcer, sort of be the Ed McMahon, if you will, on his show. And so I discovered, you know, working in the medium, medium of online radio and realized how easy it was. And so on the airplane ride back from WDS-1, I was thinking, wow, okay, that that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start this online radio show. You know, it's at the time that the first wave of podcasting had sort of come and gone, and now people were start of, starting to embrace podcasting again for whatever reason. And I was like, oh, this will be perfect. It'll be a great way to do that. So started the show and had no expectations whatsoever of what was going to happen with the show. How could I get guests? Nobody knows me. Nobody knows any of the work that I do or the sort of my life journey, but I'm just going to start asking people. I'm just going to go out on a limb. And uh, the first guy I asked to be on the show was Dave Rosillo, who I had met in the uh, Korean taco truck line at the after party to WDS1. And I had been following Dave's blog for a while and he seemed like a cool guy. And I was like, okay, I'll ask Dave. And then, you know, when a few more people that I had met and then, okay, I'm going to start asking speakers. I'll ask Jonathan Fields. I'll ask Pam Slim uh, if they'll be on the show. And a few of them gave me no's or not right now's. But uh, Pam, who's actually coming on my show uh, next week, again, uh, returning, she was one of the first people who said, sure, I'll do it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'd, I'd love to have that conversation. And so it was very uh, emboldening for people that I didn't even know to say, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. And so I started building the show and, and kept building and building. And then fast forward to 2013, uh, for WDS number three, in uh, last July, uh, Chris Gillibeau, who is the organizer of the conference, put out sort of this all call of, hey, if you've got a story of something you've done in your life, um, we'd like to hear from you. We're going to pick some people to come on and spend three minutes on stage at WDS and tell their story and you know share that with the audience and i thought okay you know i'll throw that out i had i'd been one of the uh, presenters there were workshops the previous years and i was fortunate enough to have been chosen to do a workshop the previous year on how to do a podcast and so i thought well you know i was picked for that you just never know what's going to happen i'm going to throw my story out and so i, I told them my story of uh, how wds had inspired my show and it continues to inform my show and and many of my guests uh, over the t that time over the two and a half that time two years were WDSers or people that sort of came from that crowd. And so, uh, once again, I was incredibly fortunate to get picked to be one of these attendees who came on stage. And I have uh, done some public speaking before, but never in front of 3,000 people. And so it's pretty crazy to, you know, as I'm sure you'll attest, Andy, when, when you're sitting here, you know, in an office or room having a conversation like this, you know, or, you know, working in radio, you're basically sitting in a room by yourself or maybe a few other people, a producer or engineer, things like that. It's a very different experience than standing on a stage and looking out and there's lights coming in at you and there's 3,000 people. And it's like, <gasps> you're like, whoa. But uh, I was able to go out and uh, I had a little piece of paper in my hand, uh, some notes in case I froze up and didn't remember what I said, but it was it was cool. It was, we were supposed to have three minutes, and uh, Jolie, Chris's wife, who was running the backstage, she said, we're running late, guys. We're going to have to cut your three minutes down to two minutes. Can you do that? Uh, sure, Jolie, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, I'm already nervous enough to go on stage in front of 3,000 people, and then we've got a... So I'm like, okay, I can do this. And there's this, there's a big giant timer on the floor sort of staring up at you. It starts your countdown as soon as you get out there. So it, it was trippy, trippy and surreal. And so I got out there, and uh, it was the fastest two minutes of my life. And I remember almost none of it. 
it's a total blur. And I just sort of remember looking out into the sea of faces and it's kind of blurry because you can't really see because the lights are coming in and somehow uh, telling my tale. And apparently people say it went quite well. <laughs> but It did indeed. I was one of the ones I, in the audience watching that and it, it came across very well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I and but what it what it did for me, Andy, was that one of the the things that I've done in my life over time is that I notice if something scares me like that and yet there's this feeling of like, Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. You know, I like that, but it's scary. It's to me a sign that I should probably do more of that. I should probably push myself. And so one of those things, for instance, is video, which has also scared me. I've, I've always just done radio and I feel very comfortable in that medium. And video has always made me uncomfortable or public speaking. has always been a little scary for me. So it made me realize, like, okay, maybe I should push myself to do more uh, in various mediums that have sort of scared me before. So that's what I'm working on now, okay? Maybe I'm going to start producing a few video pieces here and there. I'm going to do some video components to Radio Enzo, which I'm working on right now, and then maybe do more public speaking. Because, like, hey, that wasn't bad. I kind of like that. I kind of think I could, you know, I, I need to work on it and get much better at it. But uh, it's something I think I'd like to do more of, so... That's a great point, Greg, that that little bit of fear that pushes us a little bit further to stretch in new ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so trying to, you know, it gets back to that notion of paying attention to myself and my body and how things feel. And when you're in that situation, hmm, okay, what's going on here? You know, is it something that lights me up, even if it's scary or no, it doesn't quite feel right. I'm going to go in a different direction. I tried that. It's not my thing. I love the subtitle of Radio Enzo, which is Tools and Inspiration for Conscious Living. Can you talk a little bit about what you want Radio Enzo to be about and what sort of impact you want it to have in the world? Yeah, sure, Andy. Um, so conscious living to me, and that phrase could mean many things to many people. For, something, for, for some people, it could be uh, a very spiritual thing. It could be sort of woo-woo. It can mean a conscious, consciousness itself. Uh, which is a topic that could have a radio show devoted to just that. It's something I'm very fascinated with. Um, I'm a son of a scientist, a, a physicist, and a, I enjoy reading about and learning about consciousness and the study of consciousness and, and how that applies in, at both a scientific level, at a, at a spiritual level, if people are spiritual practitioners and they have those beliefs. But I, I love the notion of consciousness. So that certainly informs part of what we talk about on my show. But if I had to distill down that phrase to one thing, conscious living is just deliberate living. It's being conscious about the choices that you make in your life. It's conscious about the way that you interact with other people, the way that you communicate, the way that you move about in the world. And ultimately, it's being conscious about how you choose to live your life. So that's being conscious about the job that you're working, the place that you live, the sort of house you live and the way you live your life. You know, sort of, are you about having you know, more stuff or you're about having more life experiences. It's about consciously deciding, okay, I have a finite amount of time. I have a finite amount of energy. What do I want to do with that time? What do I want to do with that energy? And it's about continually evaluating those things and making conscious steps. And so what I love about the show is that almost, uh, I get, well, not almost, every single guest I've ever had on the show has come on the show and said, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I'm not a guru. I don't know everything. I'm not a person, you know, who's telling you like, hey, I've got it figured out. Follow me and you'll have all the answers. What I love is every single person, whether they're a super well-known blogger or internet personality or sort of a 
thought leader, if you will, and none of them call themselves those things, or they're just somebody who has lived an inspirational life or developed an inspirational product or is doing something cool out there, every one of them has said, you know, I'm on the journey. I, I probably learned a few things, and I'd like to share those things with people. And so for me, that's what it's about. It's about being inspired by those people, that they are also making those conscious, deliberate decisions to live their life in a way that in some fashion is different than the norm. At some point, they sort of woke up and realized, like, whoa, this is not what I want for my life, in whatever way that is, in their relationship, in their job, in where they live, whatever. I want to, I want something different. So they're, they, they, they've done that themselves. They've made those changes. And so we're hearing their tarot. We're being inspired by them. And then each of them has their own personal tool set, their own tools that they're using then to continue their journey towards being more conscious in the way that they live their life. And so those tools can be anything, a wide ranging set of tools from, you know, something very specific as I've developed an app uh, or I've, created a presentation or have written a book about this experience or everyday tools like meditation or yoga or you know I, I do this exercise or I do some sort of thing that allows me to be more present in my life as I go about my day and so that's the combination of both learning about you know their stories and being inspired then but then having those tools that hopefully the audience at the end can then take home with them and say oh, hey that resonated with me that particular thing that that person talked about that might be something that could work for me. And then hopefully that they can take that home and, you know, try that themselves as they go about creating their own conscious life or deliberate life, um, you know, or, or whatever the vernacular you use to, to, to call that. That's great. And that's so consistent with what a congruent life is all about, you know, which is really about those deliberate choices and choosing to live in a way that is, quote unquote, authentic and whatever that might mean to them. Yeah. So for you, what what does it mean to live authentically or congruently? Ah, that's a good question. I, I like the notion of authenticity, and that's a word that's popped up quite a bit over the past year for me. It's a notion I've really tried to examine. And so I think for me, living authentically is what do I really want? Who am I, first of all? And so this gets back to the notion of asking these questions, of, of spending your life asking questions that the important part isn't necessarily the answer. The important part is asking the question. So I'm asking the question, you know, who am I? What am I, what are my likes? How would I construct a life in a way that's most true to my desires, my wishes, my way to wanting to help people, to help the world, to help the planet. And so authenticity is that in any situation, I'm able to be more truly myself. And so I think that we grow up, uh, we, we have these sort of masks that we wear, that we're, we're socially conditioned uh, via the place that we grew up, the culture that we grew up in, our family, all these habits, all these things that we sort of were conditioned to and we learn. And most of that happens when we're very young. Uh, neuroscientists have said that most of these things get imprinted on us before we're five or six years old. And so, you know, if we're saying that I like this or I want to do this or I have this opinion about this, is this really me or is this something I'm parroting, I'm learning, I learned from my parents or from the town I grew up in or from the culture that I grew up in? Or is it truly me? And so... That's part of the equation with authenticity. And I think the other part of the equation is that just on a day-to-day -day level, like, okay, I'm feeling something. I want to express myself in a way. No, I'm not sure about that. 
What are people going to think about that? They might think it's weird. They might think it's strange. You know, guys aren't supposed to say something like that. Guys aren't supposed to be that vulnerable. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to put up this front. No, but that's me. That's how I feel. That's how I want to express myself. So I can't worry about what somebody else has said before or what somebody else is potentially going to say. And that's especially applicable with, you know, with social media, you know, we're putting ourselves out there online, you know, who are we, what are we interested in? What do we love to do? What do we love to talk about? You know? And so all of us have those little voices that come up in our head and, you know, what are people going to think? What are we going to do? And so whether that's, you know, those questions come up online or just in a day-to-day interaction with people, you know, I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody and do I really want to bring this up? Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to react to that. I'm not quite sure how they're going to, maybe I should sugarcoat it. Maybe I should change that. No, you want to, for me, the goal in being authentic is being true to how you're feeling and what you think should be said or, or how you should act. And, and the action is really crucial as well. So it, it's both looking at the intention behind things and then how you act on those things. And so I think authenticity, that definitely applies to you know a wide range of things in your life. And, and I, I love that people are starting to look at authenticity and they're starting to value it and say, you know, hey, you know, the more we can be authentic, the more we can be true to ourselves, the better world we're going to live in because it's not just people who are following some pattern that wasn't really them. They're being truly themselves. And in the end, they're going to be happier. And, and, and that's, I mean, isn't that the ultimate goal for all of us? So what's going on in your world these days, Greg? What projects in your life are you excited about right now? Um, well, I'm always the guy that comes up with more ideas than I have time or energy for. I have a long list of, oh, I could do that, and I could do that. And, and so trying to think through, like, okay, well, I can't do all these things at once. So trying to prioritize. And then actually the follow-through is sometimes challenging for me as well. So for me, first of all, I just, as I mentioned, uh, uh, I guess two months ago now, I switched over and I left my halftime gig with the Y that I was working for, and I basically become full-time self-employed. So I'm still doing some work for the YMCA's here in San Diego and other nonprofits here in town, but I'm essentially 100% on my own. So it, for me, it's about building my own business and sort of widening the scope of who I bring in and, and deciding, like, who do I want to work with? Who are the types of people or groups or organizations that I really want to work with? And for me, it's about people that I would, you know, sort of sort of what I call conscious marketing or people that are holistic type of businesses who are doing something to better the planet rather than just sell a widget or sell more of this or that. And so it's it's finding those organizations or people, targeting them, and then showing them what I do. And so it's, it's expanding that and various creative services for them. Uh, and I uh, I do a wide range of things. I, I make videos. I'm a photographer. Uh, build WordPress websites. A uh, little little bit of everything. Print design. All, all sorts of different things. And then also it's to try to figure out how to take Radio Enzo and sort of bring that to the next level. And I, I'm sure uh, you've uh, dealt with this with your show as well with Incongruent Life. Is that you know how do you reach a broader audience? Because I know there are so many people out there want to have these discussions. They want to hear about these things. They want to be uh, asking those same questions that you and I are asking via our shows. So then how do you do that? How do you get to a wider audience? And then uh, as part of that, 
what else can you do that ties in with the theme of your show? So for me, it's about developing some things that go around uh, some some projects that are based around the types of conversations we're having in Radio Enzo. So I'm working on a few things for the new year. I'm writing an ebook right now about how to conduct a conscious interview, uh-huh. which is uh, something that we both do. <laughs> Uh, working on a, another ebook eventually that'll be the the second piece about how to start your own online radio show or podcast. So I'm hoping to have both of those out very early in 2014, and then some just some things about you know finding more people that want to or, or are asking these sorts of questions that we're we're asking and the conversations that we're having, and then sort of bringing them together in a community of people that are able to to come together and, and do those things and then what comes out of that. And so I've got a, a variety of ideas around that that uh, are sort of swirling around in my head and I'm not quite sure how that's going how that's going to manifest, how that's going to come out yet. So A very full plate though with a lot of exciting projects. That sounds great. Yeah, it is. How can our listeners engage with you, Greg? I'm sure. So the easiest way probably, uh, I have a number of websites. Uh, my radio site is radioenzo.com. Uh, there are some tabs there to some of my other endeavors as well. So some links over to my photography site, for instance, which is uh, Enzo Photography. And so Enzo, this this Enzo word you keep hearing, E-N-S-O, it's actually uh, it's a Zen Buddhist term. It's a circle. And you'll oftentimes see a Buddhist as a form of meditation will take in calligraphy. They'll take their pen and they'll draw this circle, which is usually open-ended. And it represents sort of the connectivity of things in the world and it is some meaning as far as uh, it, the context in Zen Buddhism. And so I've adopted that as a, I'm somebody I study, a, uh, I'm a, a yoga practitioner and I study Buddhist philosophy as part of my interests. And at some point I was sort of captivated by this, this notion of an Enzo and what this is and, and, and what that means. And so my, my various businesses are Radio Enzo and Enzo Photography and then Enzo Creative Services which is my creative services business. And so I'm, I'm building a new portfolio website for that, uh, which isn't up yet, but you have links to those from either RadioEnzo.com or EnzoPhotography.com, either of those. Uh, and I'm all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, Google+. Plus. Uh, I'm around. Uh, just search for uh, Enzo Creative, Radio Enzo, or Gregory Berg is me. Uh, you can find me easy to find. Great. So I'd love to engage with you. And I love meeting new people. And, and it was, you know, somebody like Andy, who I met at WDS. And it's, it's, it's fantastic to connect with people who are doing similar work. Because I think that, you know, we've, we've got to band together. We've got to help each other out in any way that we can. And sort of cross-promote and spread the message. Because uh, to me, that's, that's what it's all about. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave the listeners with about authenticity? You can do this. I think that you know each of us have a unique set of gifts and things that we bring to the world. And sometimes it takes a long time to find those things. And, and there's not one particular thing. I'm not a believer in the, the single, like, oh, you've got to find your singular purpose in life. I'm a, I'm a multi-potentialite, to quote Emily Wapnick of Putty Tribe. And uh, I think that each of us has this collection of things that, when added together, make a unique you. And it's really important as the, the world evolves and as we move forward in life that each of you find those things and put that stuff out into the world. Connect with other people who are have similar interests, similar passions with you. Go find those people. Hang out with them. Connect with them in whatever way that you can and put your stuff out there. Be brave, and, and, and you can do this. You can. 
Well, Greg Berg is the host of Radio Enzo, which you can catch on Monday night, 6 o'clock Pacific, I believe, on uh, Blog Talk Radio Network. If you enjoy listening to these conversations on A Congruent Life, you're going to love Radio Enzo, so do check that out. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, have this conversation and share your stories with us. Yeah, no problem, Andy. This was great. And uh, continued luck with uh, all of your work as well. Thank you very much. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Greg Berg. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 34 or acongruentlife.net slash Berg. That's B-E-R-G. And there I will link to Radio Enzo and some of the other project that Greg's up to. Thanks to Audible.com for supporting the show. I've been listening to Audible for many years. Audible is offering A Congruent Life listeners an audiobook download completely free. No obligation to download your free audiobook. Just go to aclbook.com. Once again, thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. I really appreciate your support. Glad that you're here. Glad you're finding so much value out of the program. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at a congruent life.net. See you next time.